A non-ordinary life requires a non-ordinary approach. Welcome to Sears Edge. My name is Juliette Trinka, and I'm here as your guide in living the full adventure and abundance that you came here to live. During my 20 years of practicing as a shaman, I've helped thousands of leaders to unlock their full potential and actualize their vision. What I know is that ritual, leadership, magic, and wealth are intrinsically woven together. This podcast is a discovery of living the full mystery of who you are while opening to deeper trust in life than you've ever allowed. Learn how you can make your quantum leap with us at getlifemastery.com. I remember a moment about five years ago. I was driving in my car through the woods in Minnesota, headed to my first big photo shoot for my business. It was a beautiful autumn day, and I remember spontaneously having this desire to find some kind of podcast about Myers-Briggs personality structure and specifically to listen to something about the INFJ type, which is what I am. If you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, it is simply a way to get familiar, become more intimate with the interior structure of how you prefer to move through the world at the level of your psychology. The INFJ type is the, you know, the weird alien unicorn of the bunch. There's not very many of them relative to the total population. And these people, you know, when you look at what their ideal profession would be, it would be to be the sage on the mountaintop. These people often love to stand at the edge, hold the big picture, and offer guidance to the people that come to them for support. But as I was listening to this podcast, they said something that I had never heard before that changed my life. INFJ types are often known as the true empaths of humanity. And in circles where you're talking about Myers-Briggs, there's a lot of emphasis on the pain and the suffering associated with being a very deep empath. But they weren't talking about that. They were talking about how the greatest joy, the greatest alignment, internal alignment for an INFJ person is to let themselves think bigger. And as I heard those words, I began to literally sob. I was crying so hard and my body was shaking and heaving so much that I almost had to pull the car over because I felt seen in a way that I had never felt seen in my entire life. The very thing that was often called being pie in the sky, having unreasonable standards, was now being shown to me as essentially, like, I don't feel good when I'm thinking too small. That thinking big, going big, doing something big is correct for me. In that moment, something changed indefinitely in my life. And that moment has stuck with me so powerfully. It has informed a really radically different position, you know, idea, approach to the thing that 
is so often spoken about when we're in circles of high achieving women, which is perfectionism. There are many things that I believe we are getting wrong about perfectionism, even inside of the coaching and actualization realm. Perfectionism is not something to overcome, to fix, or to heal, but something to honor. And I'm excited to share with you the reason why I believe that's true. One thing that got my attention about perfectionism um, when I was beginning to turn my focus exclusively to really magical, creative, high-achieving women is that the term perfectionism is nearly universally, if not universally, applied to women. You don't hear that term being applied to men. So is it that these impulses, these motivations, these behaviors, these experiences, these growth edges aren't happening in men? I doubt that that's true. And in fact, my own experience of reality bears it out as not true. So there's something happening, a set of characteristics an inner architecture that when it happens inside of women, we want to pathologize it. And when it happens in men, we call it leadership. We call it visionary. We decide that that's the person we better make sure to advance and put in charge. So whenever there's that sort of binary, I'm always going to be a little suspicious <laughs> that something is actually a problem that needs to be solved. If it is only something that's applied to women, even though it's happening in all of us as human beings. What I really see is that the total experience that people are putting under the umbrella of perfectionism is actually just a misunderstood and misinterpreted internal wiring for excellence, for beauty, for vision, and for revelation. What we're calling perfectionism is simply a set of revolutionary superpowers that our cultural paradigm doesn't know what to do with and feels threatened by. I want to say there are so many things that I love and value and feel grateful for about living in our culture, right? But I'm not a person that believes that you can either be grateful for something and value it or that you want something different. I believe that both of those are true. You can love and value what you have and also know that everything is on the move, everything is a process, everything is changing. And so while there's so much that I value and love and I'm so grateful for in our culture, there's a lot of growth edges that I can see. And one of those is that empowered women continue to be a threat to the status quo. They're a threat to this overwhelming kind of going through the motions, zombified <laughs> existence that so many people are inside of. They are a threat. Empowered women, conscious women, are a threat to the mask that any of us are wearing. So I'm mentioning this because it's largely unconscious, right? And the way that we treat really powerful visionary women is coming from this unconscious threat we feel. Most of it is well-meaning, right? It seems well-meaning. It seems loving, but it's actually rooted in the deep fear that the persona feels at being exposed. So what do I mean by this? Many little girls grow up in environments where the adults around them have an experience an unconscious threat by the degree of excellence that these little girls are wired for. They just don't know what to do with it. 
you know, those of you who are parents, you know this, like what we want most is for our children to be safe, be loved, to thrive. And we've had this experience, right? Whether it's in our childhood or as parents or both, there can be this bias towards helping our child to fit in to whatever the status quo is. But high achieving women, even as little girls, were never made to fit in, were never designed to fit in. But what ends up happening is that these things get activated in the adults around these amazing little girls, their own anxiety comes online. And so they engage in behaviors to try to suppress this natural, visionary, revolutionary aspects in these little girls, right? We tell girls to go easy on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself, right? Give yourself a break, you know, take more time off, relax. Don't do so much. But as well-meaning as these pieces of advice are, they're misguided and they end up creating an incredible amount of suppression in little girls and women. Our culture simply does not know what to do with wildly creative, powerful, revolutionary, and visionary women. We have no kind of container or standard operating procedure to be able to identify the superpowers that are there. And so because they're unknown and unfamiliar, we don't have a box to put them inside of, it ends up feeling like a threat and thus gets suppressed. And this is part of a, a larger distinction that I see between a shamanic approach and the approach of our overculture. Our overculture is really invested in suppression, in elimination, in overcoming, in fixing, in annihilating. When something unknown or something uncomfortable emerges, the default mechanism of our cultural conditioning is to try to get rid of it. This is not helping. <laughs> so this comes at its root in our cultural conditioning. It comes from scarcity. When we believe that there's not enough, when we believe that if I have, you can't have, when we really invest in that perspective, we move through the world in a very closed off, gripping way. And we fail to recognize the value of what is showing up in this moment. And we could say, you know, even just from the perspective of consciousness, right? My baseline perspective is that there are no problems. There's only the quality of consciousness that we're bringing to the moment. And consciousness is not the mind, it's the total quality of our being, our body, our spirit, our emotions, our breath, as well as the mind. And so as we go through these, I'll be walking you through some of the commonly expressed challenges that high achieving women face or women who feel like they have perfectionism, we'll give them a new quality of consciousness and see what happens, see what's possible when we do. So when we look at it from the quality of consciousness or the perspective of consciousness, we know that our subconscious is something like 90% of what our life experience is, right? 90% of our decisions are made outside the realm of our conscious awareness from the perspective of our subconscious. And our subconscious is not bad. It's not an enemy. It's not wrong. It's not trying to sabotage you. But what is true is that it's like the soil. It's like the earth. It contains whatever is placed within it. If you put a bunch of carrot seeds in the earth, carrot roots are what are going to be in the earth. 
The earth has no discernment that way. The subconscious has no discernment that way. It only knows what it has received. And thus, when you bring in a new vision, which is the, it comes from the unknown, right? Like our visions, our desires for more, for different, for a new world, literally come from the void. They come from the nothing. We could even say that they come from the future, that which has yet to be. Whereas the subconscious is everything that has been. It is the known. We could even say it is the past, even though it presents itself as our present moment reality. So when the subconscious aspects of you are presented with the vision of the future, the void, they just literally see nothing, right? They see death. Your subconscious sees death. And so it will continue to produce material that seems to indicate that moving towards that vision is not such a great thing after all. Perhaps it's dangerous. Perhaps like you will die. But again, that's not in our conscious awareness. We don't think we're going to die by making more revenue in our business. But that's what the body's holding. And this is why the tools that I love to work with most are the ones that work with the body directly and the ones that work with the subconscious and the unconscious directly. Because when you spend every day training your body to live in pleasure when it is presented with the unknown, to remain open and anchored within your being, everything changes. You see possibility instead of limitation. It's also why the tools of manifestation are, are actually some of the most powerful tools that we have as human beings. Because when you teach your subconscious again and again that when that new life comes into being, not only is it pleasurable rather than dangerous, but I work with a lot of specific techniques where you practice experiencing the other people around you benefiting from your success rather than being hurt or harmed by your success. And we're going to get into that a little bit later because that's actually one of the deepest underpinnings for high achieving women that on some level, they believe that if they succeed greatly, that someone else has to suffer. So rather than living in a closed off perspective, a level of consciousness that can only see threat from the unknown or the ununderstandable, everything that we're going to talk about today relates to these things, these, these problems, these challenges associated with so-called perfectionism and greets them as a gift, as something to be facilitated something to be worked with consciously and purposefully as a beautiful expression and contribution to life rather than a problem that needs to be solved. So just as an example of this, one of the tools that I work with, both on my own path as well as when I'm working with clients, are the gene keys. And gene keys are, we could say, an esoteric way, an esoteric lens of looking at oneself or at another to understand how they're designed to function optimally, beautifully, joyfully. It's not a set of do's and don'ts. It's not like don't eat radishes, but do eat peas or something like that. But it's really a set of frequencies. It's a reliable perspective that you can go to that will serve you in a specific way. So I love working with them because it just unlocks so much. One of the first experiences I had with this was when I was learning about my conscious sun gate. And I know I'm using terminology here that you may or may not be familiar with. Just let that be. If you don't know what that terminology is, it's okay. You don't need it. But my conscious sun gate is the 16. 
which is the gate of mastery. And fundamentally, what that means is that anytime I want to create meaningful shift, like if I'm feeling stuck, if I'm feeling clogged up, I can turn to an inquiry around mastery. Am I making this thing that I am feeling so stuck around, am I engaging with it as a practice of mastery? Or am I doing something else? Because the moment I do that, everything changes. And we each have this, by the way. You have a reliable place that you can go. It's not the only place. It's just a reliable one. A reliable place where you can go to create shift anytime you want without re-traumatizing, without fixing healing, you know, doing all this slogging through the mud. It's so delightful. But essentially how I experience this is if I am not making a mastery of what I'm doing, I will feel stuck. I'll get degraded down into management. And management is not bad or wrong. It's just not what I'm put here for. Some people are so excellent at managing. It's, it's something that I'm in awe of, but it's not me. When I try to manage something, I am in hell. But when I make a mastery, a creative leadership of what I'm doing, I'm soaring. So I really have to go all in on what I'm doing. I can't be halfway with something. I'm not built for moderation. I'm built for extremes. Now, can you imagine being a devotional, spiritually oriented woman, like running around in communities like yoga and, and you know, meditation communities as an extremist? You know, the messaging that I was getting for decades was like, to be a spiritual woman, you must be peaceful, right? Which for me actually feels a bit like just indifference. So I need to feel the stretch in order to function as I'm meant to function. Because if I live in that indifference, my life doesn't work. So this is the same for you. Each of you have superpowers within you that simply don't fit into this current cultural paradigm. And so it's met with this idea that you need to fix it or overcome it or heal it. And this is why actually there can be so much traumatization that happens in certain coaching spaces because you keep trying to mindset something that is actually your gift. But if you look at a shamanic approach, what you'll see is that it's all about welcoming and allowing. That doesn't mean agreeing with, but just operating under the assumption that if something is showing up right now, that it's got a purpose to serve in the moment. So if I'm feeling indifferent, I can recognize that it's not like, oh yeah, let's build a house inside of indifference and live there forever. But to recognize like, okay, this indifference is here for a reason. It's serving something. What could that be? And it could be that that indifference is just coming to my consciousness so that I can remember that I'm here to live in joyful and obsessive enthusiasm. But if I try to fix or heal or overcome, it often just drives me down deeper. So it's like, I think of it like a fever, right? For many decades, if not more, and still today, largely, when a fever happens, what do people do? They want to knock it out, right? They take a drug to break the fever to get out of it. But in doing so, they actually are inhibiting the body's natural response, which is the fever, that is doing the work of killing off a virus. In a traditional approach, we want to support that fever. We want to facilitate it. We want to hasten it even, right? And it's really, really uncomfortable, but it's not going to kill you. A fever is coming because it's serving. And when we suppress it, 
we actually just drive the imbalance and the illness deeper. You see this when you look at Ayurveda, you see this when you look at any traditional system of healing. Suppression doesn't solve anything. We want to find a path of conscious facilitation so that something can express itself and then naturally release. This is going with yourself rather than going against yourself. So I just want you to drop in and, and feel this. Is there something that you're trying to overcome, that you're trying to mindset your way out of, that could actually hold all the potential for everything that you would love? That next level of greatness, that next level of joy, that next level of revenue, that next level of service. What if it only needs your recognition, your honoring, your facilitation, your curiosity so that it can express, transform, and release? So inside of that quality of consciousness, let's look at some of the common notions regarding high-achieving, ambitious women who may have identified as perfectionist or you may have been called as perfectionist. Let's see what's really happening. So we're going to go through six of the most common misunderstandings about high-achieving women. Number one is fear of failure. So I see this a lot when I'm looking out at the coaching world that there's this assumption that what is paralyzing high-achieving women is that they have a fear of failure. They have a fear of a mistake, a fear of getting it wrong. But what I actually see when I look at those circumstances and support women is they're not afraid of failing. They're afraid of greater success. These women have already had a lot of success, right? We're talking about high-functioning, high-achieving women. They have failed many times. They already have it in their cells, in their tissues, that they can fail and survive and that they can even turn those failures into wins. They're not afraid of failing. But many, if not all, of the self-sabotaging behaviors, including all of these things that come up that have the quality of paralyzing you, right? They're stopping you in your tracks. They're rooted in trade-offs, right? These not-self patterns that say, if you succeed, somebody else has to pay. Again, this is mostly sitting in the subconscious. So I'm going to invite you to, even if you don't see this in yourself, but you have noticed that you are bottlenecked, you're stuck, you seem to be in a moment of paralysis, that this could be happening for you just outside of your conscious awareness. One of the deepest unhealed traumas that high-achieving women carry is this idea that if you shine too bright, it's going to hurt somebody. It's going to make them feel lesser than, and it will be your fault. So it's a very, very codependent pattern, and it is not you. High-achieving women know if they go all in on something, they're going to get it. There's no doubt about whether it's going to happen, but the subconscious only knows what it knows. And so again, I just spoke of this a moment ago. This is why shamanic manifestation practices can be so powerful because you are essentially programming your subconscious with the information that the more you succeed, the more others benefit. It shifts the center of your internal gravity from scarcity to abundance. And it is a radical way of living. And it's something that you don't need any training to do. It really takes very little time. It's just a matter of coming into that liminal space and letting your imagination roam, visualizing people talking to each other about how much that very thing, the book that you have stagnated in publishing, 
the podcast that you want to put out there, the sharing of the abundance that you've created in your business and life, visualizing, hearing other people talking to each other about how it changed their life. It's so joyful and so generative. So I don't want to support you in getting over your fear of failure. I want to hold a space where you can get curious and creative with your fear of success. So number two is, again, called a problem, right, that you need to fix, which is tying your self-worth and your identity to achievements. High-achieving women are advised to not do that, that this is bad, this is harmful to you, it's, it's causing some disruption. But I disagree that this is a problem. I really see that it's only the quality of consciousness and skill and intention that is brought to this that actually makes the difference. So first of all, worth is a completely subjective experience. There is no such thing as an objective measure of worth. Because even if it's two people agreeing on the worth of something, that is actually an agreement that we had to come into. Two people could come in, if, like let's say we're talking about a house. I, I first heard this when it came to real estate. We were in the process of buying our first home, my husband and I, and we were like, you know, well, how do we really know if the price that our seller has on the house is, is really what the house is worth? And of course, there's ways to make comparisons, you know, market valuation, comps, whatever. But I loved what our realtor said. She said, a house is worth whatever a person is willing to pay for it. And there was a part of me that didn't like that answer, but it just felt so real. Worth is completely subjective. It is only a measure of the quality of giving and receiving that you are capable of and available for. That's it. Worth is something that's going up and down, right? If you buy a beautiful dress, right? You, you make an impulse buy, let's say you're in the store. That dress might be worth a lot to you. It's definitely worth whatever you're paying for it. But then you get it home, you maybe you didn't try it on and you put it on and you realize it looks terrible and all of a sudden you're feeling bad for how much you paid for it. You're like, oh, it wasn't worth that. So I'm bringing this forward because when we really get that worth is just a subjective, constantly changing measure of our capacity to give and to receive, and we instead turn our attention towards growing our capacity to give genuinely and receive more deeply, everything changes. Rather than trying to convince yourself that you're worthy and that your worth is based on these other things, that is actually meaningless. It's not actually the best metric to use when you're looking at the quality of your life, your experience, your giving, and your receiving. The other interesting thing is that the I, right? When we're talking about identity, that is also formless. Just like worth is formless and that we do so much better when we let things matter, when we let ourselves matter, the I is formless. It only takes the shape of what we give it. Your identity is not fixed and it's not actually your truest self. It's a game that you're playing and it's not bad, it's not harmful, but when we remember that our identity is much more like the kindergarten dress-up closet than something that's fixed and solid and in need of defending and protecting and, and all of these things, our life becomes a playground. So for those of you who are familiar with practices of manifestation, we work a lot with our language because whatever you say I am to 
becomes your reality. So you could be feeling really crappy and tired and have a runny nose. And when you say, I am sick, that is going to be your reality. But when you say, I am healing, you're not denying anything about your experience, but you are aligning with and associating to that which is closer to the deep self, right? So we have the capacity to create the I, to create the personality as an expression of the true self, rather than something that in and of itself needs to be defended, protected, all those other things. So the funny thing is, it's I mean, I find it kind of comical because in a shamanic manifestation practice, we're purposefully and intentionally tying our identity to a specific outcome because we recognize that the identity isn't really the true self. The true self has nothing to do with anything. The true self is simply visiting reality to have an experience and it has nothing to do with the reality. It's not defined by the reality, but our personality is. Our personality is this wonderful game that we get to play and we can actually shift our reality by intentionally tying our personality to an outcome. So it's not a problem, it's a superpower, right? Your ability to intentionally align your identity with a new outcome that you wanna create is a superpower. People will look at you and say that your life is magic. People look at you and they're like, how did you do that? Because it didn't seem like you were working really hard or that you were struggling and it's like, no, because I tethered my identity to that new life. That I wanted. So rather than making it a problem, what if we strengthened that muscle? Number three, the so-called problem of sacrificing your health and well-being for achievement. Another example of something that actually doesn't need to be healed or overcome. It only needs to be empowered by bringing it to consciousness. I know I sound like a broken record, but I want to continue to reinforce that all these problems that you think you have to solve and mindset your way through, you don't actually need to do that that you can live a life of celebrating the way that you are. So let's look at this example. We have a really big misunderstanding in our culture of what it is to be healthy and whole. Much of our understanding of what health and wholeness are have been created by the pharmaceutical and wellness industries, truly. They've been vastly informed by industries that are trying to market products to us. And so part of how that's done is by creating a very, very narrow definition of what it is to be healthy. And interestingly, you know, most of what we associate with health is like not having to pay attention to our body. It's, it's actually a quality of numbing and dissociation. But the reality is you came here to live in the full range of your experience. And there is a much greater range of sensation, of emotion, of psychology, of spirituality that is available to you that has been labeled as out of balance, right? So this obsession that we have with balance is actually the thing that's out of step with reality. The women that I work with, these wildly creative, intuitive, high achieving women are artists. We are priestesses. We are meant to go through periods of unrestrained creating, staying up all night writing or painting or crafting your course, or, you know, going through the motions of the dance, composing the music, outlining the revenue plan. We came here to be vessels that could be possessed by spirit. And there will be periods of time where you come out of your normal mundane routine. And in the paradigm of health that our culture holds, that's out of balance. 
you know, because then you're going to be exhausted for days. But I don't really believe that women need more self-care to regulate themselves or to become more peaceful or to calm down. They need the empowerment to live in their full, unedited range. Some of us were made to shut everything down for a period of time so we could focus on one creative project. Or we're made to move from thing to thing to thing to thing. We're not made to sit down and focus on one thing or one activity for eight hours. This is a huge part of what I support my clients in doing. I help them to unearth their natural rhythms so that they can live rhythmatically rather than regularly, right? This whole idea that we're meant to live in this nine to five life, it has nothing to do with the reality of what your soul came here to do. So I wonder how could your life look? if you totally gave yourself to the creative spirits when they come. And also, in between time, you let yourself rest. You let yourself build resilience. You gave yourself that self-care. What could be possible if you valued a larger scope of your personal range? So much more. So much more is possible for you. You did not come here to fit into a box of routine and mundane structure. You came here to live the radical authenticity of you. My personal energetic rhythms are highly variable. So this idea about consistency, especially as an entrepreneur, makes no sense to me because the way that I'm consistent, the only way that I'm consistent is by honoring my inconsistency. And the more I have honored that when I go all in when the energy is there and when it's not, I don't. That is what has contributed greatly to my success. But when I try to force myself into a pattern of regularity that is alien to me, not only do I suffer, but my business suffers. So just imagine that. Imagine if your rhythms are right and you could get even more intimate with them and live them out fully. And that is actually how the greater life, that greater vision that you're calling in comes into being. Number four, the number four problem, so-called problem that high achieving women have, valuing outer validation versus inner peace. First of all, I would love it <laughs> if we could just stop creating binaries around these things. Why would you ever have to choose the joy of recognition versus inner peace? Why would those two ever need to be things that you need to make a trade-off around? I don't believe that that's true. What I do see, and this is the theme that we've been weaving in the whole time, is that magical, creative, high-achieving women are constructed differently. And so the way we are often goes completely unseen, even when we are deeply loved, cherished, valued. There are parts of us that simply go completely unseen. And so what I would suggest is that the part of you that is yearning for recognition, that feels desperate for it, is actually correct. That it is a part of you that is starving because it's not experiencing witness in your outer life. So rather than practicing indifference, right? You should not care what people think. You shouldn't be looking for that outer validation and just know that you're okay inside, right? Again, because it's somehow a binary. You either know from inside or you receive it from outside. I would suggest that that is just a way to, again, practice not having needs, which is a big issue that I see for high-achieving women. Because we are so high-functioning, we often forget that we have needs and that they might look different than the needs of the people around us. And we can even practice ourselves into believing that not having needs is the superpower. Well, that's not true. So I'm very 
mindful to not perpetuate any not self patterns that have a woman feeling that she's not allowed to have needs or that because her needs are different or less or more than the people around her that she's got something to fix. I want to help you practice the vulnerability and the powerful truth that your environment should recognize you, that it should be what we call in shamanic practice an aini, an open quality of giving and receiving, and that there may be some exciting conversations that await you as you honor and recognize and bless these things inside of you and that you communicate to your environment that you want to be recognized for that. We teach people how to treat us, whether we're doing it consciously or unconsciously. And something amazing is waiting for you when you consciously and lovingly instruct your environment to recognize what is right about you, what is brilliant about you, all the things that have gone unseen, even by the people that love you, give them a way to love you more. What a generous act. Number five. Oh, number five, people-pleasing. People-pleasing and trying to be everything to everyone. Again, let's just pause. I want you to notice if you've ever gotten any advice around this or if it has felt like a struggle within you. The funny thing that I notice is that pretty much all of the activities that fall under the umbrella of people-pleasing have nothing to do with pleasure. Like there's a magical clue inside of that phrase, people-pleasing. Nobody's experiencing pleasure in people-pleasing. Everyone has completely left pleasure out. So there's actually two really great possibilities and invitations inside of this is that I don't see that it's a problem to genuinely cultivate pleasure for the people around you. That feels like love to me. But what I do see is that, again, most of us have not received a lot of deep training around accessing what our real yes and our real no feel like in our bodies, where they come from. We, at least for myself, I'll say, I never got any training in elementary school that taught me that my yes and my no are magical tools that carve reality into being. And across the board, we don't have a lot of respect for no. When people say no, we tell them, especially women, that they're being stubborn, that they're closed down, you know? But we also have a problem with their yes. So I think it's less about trying to stop people-pleasing and more about recognizing that when you see the, the behaviors associated with people-pleasing or called people-pleasing coming online, that it's actually an opportunity to cultivate a greater depth of power in your real yes and your real no. And that your yes and your no actually do serve reality. They do serve the people around you. Again, it's not an either or. It's not about serving me versus serving you. It's just about being who you really are. So the second thing here is I'm going to invite you to actually make a list of all the tiny, tiny little ways that seem like they're not such a big deal all the way to the massive things that you're doing what we understand to be people-pleasing and look through the lens of pleasure. Really open yourself, not just mental pleasure, but like a pleasure moan. Like pleasure so much that you feel it in your bones. What if you made pleasure the requirement? I can guarantee you, you're going to see something different. And it will surprise you because there may be some activities that you have called people-pleasing that you actually take great pleasure in, but you just haven't been giving yourself pleasure because, again, we've been culturally conditioned 
to feel very threatened by female pleasure. So sometimes we really do some, we really do love something. We're just not letting ourselves love it. We're not letting ourselves receive the pleasure. On the other hand, you might recognize that it doesn't please you at all, and it's actually not pleasing anybody else. And you open to what could this look like? What could this circumstance look like if pleasure was my standard? Beginning with my own, because I can't control whether other people feel pleasure or not. Something will change. Finally, the last so-called problem that high-achieving women face is living in your head. So as we've gone through again and again, we've seen that what's actually happening from my perspective is that this idea of trade-offs is continuing to be perpetuated. And as long as you're living inside of a trade-off, you're going to be living a scarcity-born life. It is only when you realize that you get to have it all that you live in abundance. So this wisdom, you know, this so-called wisdom that's being offered to women is to get out of your head, get into your body. And again, it's like, why would we have to choose? Your head isn't a bad place. Your thoughts are beautiful. Your mind is incredible, amazing, creative, beautiful, and bountiful. Celebrate it. Some women are more cerebral. Again, like if, if you look at a system, for instance, like human design, for those of us who have a defined crown, a defined third eye, a defined throat, it's going to feel really good for us to be in the realm of mental creation. And that is correct. But I don't have to choose my head over my body or my body over my head. What if we actually allowed all parts of a woman to be valued, to be fully functioning, to be celebrated, to be empowered, to work together. I don't want you to get out of your head. I want you to allow your head and to allow the rest of you as well. Make it a garden. Make it the place that supports your body and let your body support your mind. Let this be a, an inner team, right? An inner council where all members are valued and celebrated. So I hope very much that this deep dive has been supportive to you, has opened new portals, has helped you to see what is right about you, and has helped you to start to shift out of directing so much of your energy at overcoming who you are, and instead celebrating, empowering, and practicing who you are. Aha. Uh -huh.